Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful this morning for the grace that is ours in our Lord Jesus Christ. For the privilege it is to gather as we do this day, we know that you are Lord over all. You reign, you rule, and there is none beside you. And we want to stop for a moment, Father, just to ponder upon the truth of who you are, how great you are. Lord, we are so limited in our understanding of you. We are so limited in our ability even to know you in your fullness. But yet, God, you have chosen to reveal the truth of who you are in your Son. And we are grateful for the privilege of growth and our knowledge of Christ through the Word of God. And even as we continue our study this morning, I pray that we might have discerning minds, that your Spirit would provide us your discernment, Lord, that we would understand the truth that is before us as we enter into this portion of this epistle of Paul to the Ephesians. May you be glorified and honored in all that is done. Lord, we thank you for every soul that's gathered here this day. We thank you for the life, the breath that you have given us, and we pray as well for those who are away from us, traveling sick, those in the hospital or those who are recovering from illness, Father, we pray your grace upon each one and that you might minister each one and that your body, we as your body, would edify one another in the truth and, and the love of your Spirit who dwells within us. Thank you again, Father, for the privilege to stand and proclaim your word. May we do so with boldness and clarity. And Father, may you use the truth of your word in every heart and every life of every individual gathered here together this day. May you be glorified, may you be honored as you so rightfully deserve to be, not only in word, but also as we would leave this place today, as we would fellowship after the time in your word this morning. We pray that we may do so with, again, thankful hearts, recognizing how good you truly are and how unworthy we are to receive of such grace, of such goodness. We pray this all in Christ's precious name. Amen. You can be seated. This morning, we begin this portion of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. We've been in chapter 6 now for several weeks, and we also, of course, have been uh, months and even over a year now in our study of Ephesians and throughout this epistle. And in this particular portion of the letters, we begin verse 10 and following. We see that Paul addresses this matter of spiritual warfare, of this battle in which every believer finds himself a part of. We are engaged in a war, and if you are a child of God, whether you want to be engaged in the war or not, you are engaged in the war. We are constantly in conflict. There's a constant opposition that takes place within ourselves between what we would refer to as the flesh, not talking about the body, but the flesh that is our sinful nature that still resides, that we carry about with us, as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, and also the Spirit of God that dwells within us. That in itself is a war, not to mention the conflict that exists outwardly from all that which is wicked, that which is evil, sin itself about us, and those that are in sin, and society as a whole, in the world in which we live. We live in a wicked world. The world has always been wicked since sin entered into the world. From that point forward, it has been a wicked world, and we continue to live in a wicked world. And so we find ourselves facing this conflict on a regular basis. And by the way, I would even dare to say a daily basis and even moment-by-moment basis because, again, there's a conflict that is spiritual in nature that goes on within us all the time without exception, without ceasing, without break. It is a continual conflict that is in us because of the sinful flesh and the, the truth of the Spirit of God that dwells in us. But then also there are attacks that come upon us from without. And so Paul addresses this matter of this battle, of the spiritual war, of this fight, 
which we are in. And, and he begins to do so here in verse 10, at least concluding this matter and pointing it out in a very specific manner throughout verses 10 and following of Ephesians chapter 6. I would venture to say to you, I would dare to even say, that we've already seen the evidence of the spiritual battle in the previous chapters, chapter 4, 5, and 6, though Paul didn't point it out in the same manner he does here in chapter 6. We've seen the evidence when Paul is addressing, instructing the church at Ephesus, the believers at Ephesus, that they are to walk worthy of the vocation. Why would he even give such an exhortation? Because in us is this sinful flesh that would desire that we not walk according to the grace of God which has been given to us. When he talks about husbands loving their wives and wives submitting to their husbands, why would he deal with this? Because there is a constant conflict of the sinful flesh that desires against submission to the Word of God. Children obeying your parents. Why would he say that? Because children naturally, because of the sinful flesh, do not want to obey their parents. And also, parents or fathers and parents are to nurture or raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Why would he do that? Because it is the sinful nature for us to not do so. And so there's this constant conflict that is present. Master, servant, servants, master, same thing. It is within us to rebel, and it is within us as well to oppress if, if occasion presents itself. And so there's a constant conflict that is taking place within the life of the child of God. It is every day, every moment. I'm afraid we live in a time in which we have become numb to this, or we just do not understand the actual conflict that is present. And we think spiritual attack is whenever... Uh, the state comes against the church, or the government rises up against the church, which could definitely be true, but we fail to recognize personal, daily, spiritual conflict, or we pass things off as though they have no spiritual significance or no spiritual connotation to them whatsoever when they actually do. And so we do not recognize the battle often for what it is, but we should be aware of this battle, and we need to be aware, we must be aware of this battle. Often this portion of Ephesians in chapter 6 that we just read even verse 10 and following is referred to, it's preached, it's taught, it's talked about without providing any consideration that is given in the previous five chapters of the epistle. And to do this is not only a disservice to the scriptures themselves, but it's also a tragedy, a results in tragedy within the life of the believer. For it is through the understanding of the position we have been provided in Jesus Christ by God that we are then prepared for the battles we will inevitably face as followers of Jesus Christ. Again, you will never be prepared for the battle that you face daily or upon different occasions unless you are understanding, embracing, and living in the truth of who God has made you to be in Jesus Christ, who He is, who you are in Him, and therefore Him living in you. And that's what Paul has dealt with from chapters 1 up until this point, and he continues now to explain this truth. So if we attempt to engage in spiritual battle apart from resting in and relying upon the provision God has made in giving us this position in Jesus Christ, we find ourselves absolutely, totally unprepared for the battle for the fight. So as we begin this portion of Ephesians chapter 6, we must do so with the understanding that we are engaged in a war that has already been won. There's no better place to be fighting than in a war that's already been won. In a fight in which you know the outcome. It's already been accomplished. It's already been foretold. It's already been uh, uh, completed, if you will, 
in eternity as it is unfolding in time. And God has allowed us, as followers of Christ, to now be engaged in this constant fight, in this constant conflict, even when it comes to your flesh. Think of this for a moment. You daily are in a fight with your flesh, but guess what the outcome is going to be? You will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In the end, the work will be accomplished, it will be completed, no matter how much you struggle right now. All that which rises against the gospel, all the kingdoms that rise, they all shall fall. Why? Because there is one eternal everlasting kingdom, and we've been made a part of that kingdom. So all of this that goes on, it is real. At the moment, there's no doubt. We have a real enemy, we have real sinful flesh, we face real struggles, real tribulations, real persecutions, real oppression, real contention, real conflict. It's all real. But we do so, or should do so, with the understanding that we are engaged in a battle in which the war has already been won by the Lord Jesus Christ. Wendell Wilkie, an attorney who ran against Franklin D. Roosevelt in the presidential election of 1940, said this, I would rather lose in a cause that I know someday will triumph than to triumph in a cause that I know someday will fail. And we are engaged in a battle which it may seem as though there are moments where we don't, we don't seem victorious at the moment, but we are engaged in a war that has already been won because of Christ. So every believer is involved in spiritual warfare. And what we as believers must remember is that although at times it may appear or seem as though we face overwhelming opposition, not only will we one day triumph, but even more importantly, the victory is already ours right now in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Specifically speaking, Paul is talking about the resurrection. He's talking about death and the grave. And he's saying, Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most important words in this sentence is the definite article, the, as used in the statement, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. The use of the definite article, the, indicates that this victory is not any victory, but specifically it is the final or the ultimate victory. It's not saying thanks be to God which giveth us victory, or thanks be to God which giveth us a victory, but it's thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. The definite article, absolute, ultimate, complete victory. So what's important for us to realize is that we are not fighting for victory. We are engaged in a battle in which we fight from the position or the stance of victory. This is not something we are attempting to accomplish. It's that which we realize has already been accomplished, and now we are engaged as it unfolds in time, as this whole purpose and plan of God is unfolding in time as God has allowed us to be a part of this eternal purpose which he has purposed in Jesus Christ as he says in Ephesians, the earlier chapters, as God has allowed us to be a part of this privilege of being included in his purpose, as time unfolds, the victory is being revealed and one day ultimately will be absolutely realized in eternity. So when we fight, let us stand, let us fight, let us engage from a position 
of victory, not attempting to gain a victory that has already been accomplished. Paul begins this portion of this letter by stating, finally. One word, finally. Then he addresses, my brethren. Verse 10, we must recognize, and this is often not presented, not proclaimed, not introduced in this manner, but verse 10 is not the beginning of Paul's teaching but rather is the beginning of his conclusion of this entire epistle. So at the very closing of the epistle, which is not finished yet, but as he's entering the last paragraphs, if you will, of his letter, he says, finally. And I'm saying to you, it is a tremendous disservice to pick up this passage and begin in chapter 6, verse 10, without understanding chapters 1 through 6, verse 9. Because you're attempting to introduce as though this is, oh, we're in this battle. But you are fighting a losing battle apart from recognizing the position you have in Christ that we are totally relying upon He who's already won this victory. Therefore, the victory can be realized in our lives daily. And no matter what the opposition or conflict may be, whether it's within or without, that we can experience this victory, realize this victory, as we are resting in He who is the victor. And so it's imperative that we see this as we begin verse 10 of this portion of Paul's epistle in chapter 6 of Ephesians. So this is the beginning of the conclusion of the epistle, not the beginning. And many people view this passage as though this verse introduces us to spiritual warfare in some isolated manner. However, the very first word of this portion of Paul's exhortation finally reveals that this is much more than an introduction to an isolated truth or introduction to a new thought. But rather, Paul is concluding his epistle, and in doing so, he addresses the matter of spiritual warfare for which he has emphatically prepared the reader within his previous teaching, instruction, and exhortation throughout the epistle. Do not misunderstand this. You are not going to be prepared to fight or to engage or to face the daily conflict apart from absolute submission to the victor, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only way. And Paul has prepared everyone who's read up to this point for this very truth. So it's important that we recognize the progressive nature of Paul's writing in this epistle. The simple truth is that we are not prepared again for the spiritual battles we face unless or until the previous five chapters are a reality within our lives. In other words, if we are not living in the truth of our position in Jesus Christ, then again, we're not prepared for the daily conflict which we face. So when we understand these truths, which I've just stated, it becomes easy to see why so many today fail to live in the victory as provided by God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because so many, even believers today, are attempting to fight their battles, fight their war. Listen. You are engaged in the internal, eternal purpose of God in which He's already declared and won the victory. This is not your fight. It's not your battle. It's not even your faith. It's the faith that's been given to you that has placed you in this battle, and He's the one who said, I'm going to accomplish that which I've begun. And yet, we find ourselves so often feeling as though we are defeated in the moment. And the reason we feel or experience such an emotion is because we are attempting to do something in our own strength or effort rather 
than in that of the Lord. And it's for this reason we are given the uh, warning. To, and, and we are, Peter warns us and, and gives us this reality and, and commands our attention to this truth that the enemy, the spiritual warfare that he brings, is not dependent on whether we are prepared. Because Satan is always on the attack. The flesh is always present. Whether you're prepared or not, you're fighting. You are engaged in this battle, whether you want to be or not. That's the point. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter said, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, seeketh, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So Satan is not saying, Okay, now let's have a fair, fair fight here. Are you prepared? Are you resting and trusting in Christ right now? So the point is, he's going to attack regardless. So it behooves us to be prepared. But the preparation, again, is resting in the Lord, as Paul continues to say even in verse 10. And for this reason, he exhorts all believers in this verse, verse 10, by stating, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Here it is. Not be strong in your abstinence from sin. Not to be strong in your faithfulness to ministry. Are you seeing? It's not about being strong in what you're, in your performance and what you're doing. Be strong in your mindset. No. Be strong where? In the Lord. And we've seen this consistently throughout chapters 4 and 5 and up to this point in 6. Remember the common thread that we have found? Wives, <clears throat> excuse me, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, uh, provoke not your children to wrath, but we are to rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants are to serve as unto Christ. Masters are to remember we have a heavenly master, so we are to, we are to remember the grace that is given to us. He's not a respecter of persons, meaning whether we be in leadership or whether we be under submission of le- to leadership, that in no way is saying that God favors one above the other, but we have a heavenly master who is gracious unto us and we are to be gracious to those to whom we lead. And, and so all this is a common thread about being in the Lord, unto Christ, of the Lord, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's always concerning our position in Him. And once again, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong, what? in the Lord and in the power of His might. And there are three truths we must not overlook that are either stated or implied within this verse. First of all, we do not possess the strength necessary for this fight. Paul's statement is one which indicates that we do not have what is necessary for this battle which we face in and of ourselves. Throughout the Scriptures, we are reminded of this truth of our insufficiency and the sufficiency of our God and His grace. When Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, he explained that he did not need to recommend himself, nor did he need those at Corinth to recommend him. When facing the criticism of others, Paul explained that the reason he did not need the approval or recommendation of others was because he was dependent upon the Lord. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul stated, "...not that we are sufficient of ourselves," to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. So here Paul is saying that I don't need the approval of men, and I don't need to recommend or even boast of myself as though I am approved in and of myself. He says, rather, our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. 
Furthermore, when attacked by the enemy, Paul explained to the Corinthians that the Lord proved to be sufficient during his trial and sufferings. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-10, through 10, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. If we are not sufficient in ourselves for the attacks that will inevitably occur, if we're not sufficient in and of ourselves in relation to even that messenger of Satan for Paul, he says, Lord, please remove this from me. And God says, Paul, my grace is sufficient. And then Paul makes the statement, I will gladly therefore embrace this infirmity. I will accept this with joy and gladness. For in doing so, I recognize that Christ is being made known to me and His strength is being revealed to and in and through me. And for this, I give God glory and thanks. So I glory in my infirmities that so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then am I strong. For it's in His strength that's made perfect in my weakness. And again, this seems as it's a paradox, does it not? For when you think of what we would refer to as the life of the believer, the Christian life, if you will, it's one as we follow Christ that in order for us to live, we must die. In order for us to experience and realize the victory, we must submit, not to the enemy, but to the Lord. In order for us to be strong, we must acknowledge and recognize and confess and embrace the very truth of our weakness so that we might embrace His strength. It's very interesting that within the life of the believer, what would appear to be normal in the physical life for us to strive to do is exactly the opposite. We must die to live. We must submit to experience and realize the victory. We must embrace our weakness to experience strength because it's His strength. And we have to stop doing that He might accomplish His purpose and work through us. We must rest in His labor, rather than labor ourselves. And so it's very interesting as we consider the life of the believer, how this becomes a reality. And so if we are not sufficient, what are we to do? Well, he explains further in verse 10 that we are in need of God's power and His strength. Notice again verse 10, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Paul begins addressing this issue of spiritual warfare by reminding us of this all-important truth. We must depend on the power and might of God. Paul's statement, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, means that we are to become strong by His power. Throughout this epistle, Paul has continually reminded us of our dependence on Christ. If we don't have the power and strength that we need and we must have, then obviously we must depend on a strength outside of ourselves, beyond ourselves that is. The Lord is our strength. It is through His power working within us that we can stand, we are able to fight, and it is in the Lord in whom we find victory. And again, we're going to see as we can progress through this latter portion of Paul's epistle here in Ephesians 6, that Paul does not tell us to march forward, to lunge forward. He tells us to stand. 
And again, the reason he says to stand and stand fast is because we are standing from a victorious position. Yes, we're engaged in a fight. Yes, there is, there is the conflict about us. Yes, the enemy attacks. Yes, the flesh is present. But we have victory. Stand in the victory. In Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, he had stated in Ephesians 3.16, he said that he would grant you, this is his prayer, that he would grant you, the Ephesian believers, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. He says, so his spirit, that God would give you and grant you, according to the riches of his glory, the strength by the indwelling spirit, his spirit within you. We find a similar statement made by Paul in Colossians, as we do throughout the study of Ephesians. Colossians 1.11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. And so we, we understand then, it is in the Lord alone that we find our strength. It is Christ who is our victory. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57, Paul says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have victory over sin. We have victory over death. We have victory, and we've been delivered out from under the condemnation of the law. Christ is our victory. I would say one of the predominant fears in mankind is death. Maybe not all men fear death the same. But there is this fear men want to live. And many times people will not engage or involve themselves in certain things because of a fear of harm or a fear of death. But as a child of God, let us be mindful. Death is nothing but a mere doorway into life. So why would we fear death? Now, none of us look forward to death. Obviously, I don't look forward to dying. I think it's a grace and mercy of God. He doesn't let us know how or when we're going to die. But yet, we don't look forward to death. We don't look forward to the process of death. But I can tell you as a child of God, I can look forward to that which is beyond death. So why should we be fearful when we know that physical death is only entrance into eternal life? 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul stated, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Are you hearing Paul's words? Thanks be to God, who causeth us to always triumph in Christ. Have you ever felt defeated? Let's just be honest for a moment. Have you ever felt as though you've been defeated in a moment? Have you ever lied? Because some of you are right now. (laughs) Have you ever felt as though you've been defeated? Yes. Have you ever been defeated in a moment? Yes. But hear me. You've never been defeated in Christ. Any defeat we experience is because we are not resting in Him. He always causes us to triumph in Christ. Christ. The victory is always ours. Even if we are taken to the slaughter as a lamb, 
if we are resting in Christ, we find ourselves victorious. Romans 8, 36 and 37, listen to what Paul says. You know the context here, as it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Even in death, even if we have our lives taken from us for the cause or the sake of Christ and the gospel, we are more than conquerors. We triumph in Christ. Why would we not want to be engaged in this war when we know the outcome and no matter what happens in the process, we are victorious? And if we come to death's door because of this conflict, the Christian life, for the cause of Christ. Death is only an entrance into eternal life where the victory is absolutely realized. And third, I told you there's three things either implied or stated in the verse. God will strengthen us for the battle. We don't have to hope for God's power to strengthen us. He has told us in His Word that He not only will strengthen us, but that He is our strength. Ephesians 3.20 Now unto Him, same letter, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God is able to do above and beyond according to the power that worketh in us. Do you understand what that means? It means let, me, let me explain like this, because we have a tendency to always look on the outside going, oh, that means that God has a way of deliverance out of this. Of course God can and may deliver, but He may not. So that can't just only mean that. So what does this mean? It's the power that worketh in us. Let me say this to you. There are times, it sure does not appear as though God is in the process of conforming me to the image of Christ in moments of my life. I go, wow. When I catch a glimpse of myself and I think, how does this look anything like Jesus? You ever been there? But do you know what? He's able to do exceeding abundantly above more all that I could ask or think. He will conform me to the image of His Son. It will be accomplished. It shall be done because it's His power working in me. I am not transforming myself. God has and is transforming me. Although this verse has been abused by many when Paul was speaking of being content in all situations, both good and bad, he then declared in chapter 4 of 13 of Philippians, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He's saying, I know what it is to be abased. I know what it is to abound. I know what it is to suffer. I know what it is to, to, to have. He says, and no matter, I have learned to be content in Christ. And Christ is my strength. And of course, we remember it was the Lord who told the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, as we read moments ago. The fact of the matter is, there is a war, whether you realize it, whether you acknowledge it, whether you want to acknowledge it, you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are engaged in a spiritual battle every day of your life. Whether it be the flesh, the sinful fleshly nature that is still present with you. Paul says in chapter 7 of Romans, who shall deliver me of the, from this body of death? And again, the, the connotation there, or the, what Paul is speaking to, is that as a prisoner who would be in chains in that dead body, if somebody died in chains, how he would have to drag around that body with him in the Roman prisons. So he's saying, I'm dragging around this dead flesh with me. I'm dragging around this sinful nature that I am dead. I'm crucified in Christ, but yet I drag this body around me, this 
filthy, stinking, wretched, decaying body that I'm dragging around with me. And that's what this flesh is. It's wicked. It is filthy. It's disgusting. And he says, I'm dragging this around with me. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God, he's the one who gives the victory. I will be delivered from this one day. So we are encompassed by conflict. There is a war that is all about us. And though we may not see the ins and outs of that on a daily basis as significantly one day as the next, the truth remains that there is a conflict that takes place within us and there are attacks that are all about us against the gospel, against Christ. And it may not, in fact, let me say this, the attack is never really personal to begin with. Because this isn't about you, it's about God and His righteousness, His truth, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel. But if you are standing in the truth of the gospel, then the gospel is attacked. If you're standing in the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of Jesus is attacked. Are you seeing this? And you are a part of that because of Him, but He's the one who's won the victory of the war He has put you in. And so there's this battle that is raging all about us. There's an account told of during the Korean War, as the enemy forces advanced, a company known as the Baker Company was cut off from the rest of their unit, and for several hours there was no communication between uh, that unit and the headquarters. And though they repeatedly, reportedly uh, tried to communicate with the missing troops, finally the unit was able to make contact, and after being asked about the situation, this was the reply. The enemy is to the east of us, the enemy is to the north of us, the enemy is to the west of us, the enemy is to the south of us. After a brief pause, the sergeant from the Baker Company said with determination, the enemy is not going to get away from us now. Here's the reality of it. We have the enemy all about us. That's the truth. But rather than cowering back and hiding or being fearful in this war in which we have been engaged, let us be aware that God has called us to stand. There is a fight all about you but you don't have to fight for victory. You fight and stand in the truth that you are victorious in the person, in the provision, in the power, in the providential working and purpose, eternal purpose of God in the person of Jesus Christ, His Son. We have been made to be victorious in Christ. Much too often we dread the spiritual warfare we face because we are not prepared for the battle and at times we may feel as though the attack is overwhelming. Yet when we understand that our Lord Jesus Christ not only provides us strength, but that He is our victory, then and only then can we face the spiritual warfare with confidence. For it is only then that we will face each battle with the joy of knowing that regardless of how it may appear from time to time, we are victorious in our Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, when we do feel as though the battle is overwhelming, this causes us to realize our continued need to totally depend upon the Lord, who is our victory every day. I'm reminded of the Old Testament. Remember the children of Israel, and as they were traveling, of course, in the wilderness journeys because of their own unbelief, and God kept them out there for the 40 years that they traveled in the wilderness. And if you recall with me, the Lord provided for them daily, except, of course, prior to the Sabbath. He provided daily for them the manna. And if they tried to collect more than God apportioned them to collect, of course, it went bad, it spoiled. And God was teaching them and requiring them. 
He was forcing them to depend daily on his provision, on his person. Do you know, as we face the conflict each and every day, whether it be that internal one, meaning the flesh with the spirit that's just constant, or whether it be out, out, outside attacks upon the gospel and upon us as believers in Christ, whichever way it comes, and it comes constantly, but especially inwardly, we know that to be true, whichever way it is, we must understand, though we would love for the Lord to just simply take away all the opposition right now. We would love for Him to remove any resistance. We would love for Him to remove any of the enemies. We'd love to see everything just totally taken away that would be in opposition against the gospel or against believers who are followers of Christ, against righteousness. We would love to see all that just eradicated, wouldn't we? Do you not realize what the Lord is doing? He is teaching us to trust and rest continually in His provision, in His power, in His strength, in His person. We are still, as believers, in desperate need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are still in desperate need of His grace. And here's what you will find as you rest and trust in Him. His grace is sufficient.